Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, everybody. Uh, We've got an absolutely spectacular one today. Sarah Silverman. Now, I know that when you hear me say, hey, everybody, we got a spectacular one today, you think I'm punking you. And usually I am. But this time, this time, boy, I'm telling you, you are going to love this one with Sarah, you know, for a change. Now, this is Sarah's second time on the podcast the first one was about three years ago, and, and you want to go back and listen to that one after you listen to this one, because that one, unlike the vast, vast majority of my podcast, was just terrific. And she was so inspired by doing my podcast three years ago that she started doing her own podcast, the Sarah Silverman podcast. And before we recorded this in, in Hollywood, California, the showbiz capital of the world, Sarah and I decided that this one will be a joint podcast. So here's our thinking. My podcast is usually on public policy. I have guests like Paul Krugman, Neil Katyal, Malcolm Nance, Michelle Obama. Well, not Michelle Obama, but guests like her. But I also have guests like Sarah or Conan O'Brien or Chris Rock, Dana Carvey or Michelle Obama, not her but comedians like her. Stop it, Al. I see this thing is an hour 20. Let's get to the fucking conversation, you bastard. Well, frankly, I resent that. But anyway, Sarah and I are both airing this as our podcast, and I hope my listeners who don't know her podcast will want to start listening to hers. Not instead of mine, of course, but occasionally when you're thinking, you know, I I didn't get enough funny from Paul Krugman, might want to go to Sarah. Now, a couple thoughts on current events. Oy. Okay, that's one thought, but oi, But my God, you're all voting. I know that, but as I hope uh, you've heard me say, that's not enough. Get others out to vote. Do phone banking, door knocking. I said this before. I'm going to say it again. Many of you have jobs. Many of you have families. Ignore them. An eight-year-old child knows how to use a microwave oven. That's just a fact. And an eight-year-old child can teach a four-year-old child to use a microwave oven. Get out the vote. These midterms may very well determine the future of our democracy. Speaking of which, I'm doing my very first live podcast here in New York City, formerly the showbiz capital of the world. We're doing it at the City Winery down at the Chelsea Piers in Lowish, Manhattan, Wednesday, November 2nd. That's the last Wednesday before the first Tuesday following the first Monday 
in November. Was that confusing? It's Wednesday, November 2nd. David Axelrod, that's when we're doing this thing. David Axelrod will be joining me. David, of course, best known as the chief strategist for Barack Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, which Obama won. Yet, for some reason, David can't help me get Michelle Obama on my damn podcast. David now, of course, is a political analyst. You see him on CNN. If you ever get sick of Steve Kornacki on MSNBC, and Kornacki does a great job, but sometimes you don't need to hear again the early votes in Cattahooga County lean Democrat. You already know that. Maybe you can learn something on CNN with watching David. We're also having a very special, very exciting special guest, which we will announce at an exciting time. Anyway, this is our our first live podcast. If you'd like to be there at the City Winery on Wednesday, November 2nd, you can go to alfranken.com for tickets, alfranken.com. Back to the events in this week's news. Let me say uh, one thing about this hurricane, this tragic hurricane. We're going to get more and more of these, and they're going to be more and more severe because of climate change. And the reason that we have had no real action on climate change, during Obama, there there were measures to incentivize wind and solar, uh, regulations to capture methane, some stuff like that. But the reason there's been no significant action until this $370 billion in the Inflation Reduction Act is Citizens United. Before that decision, there were uh, Republicans like John McCain, Lindsey Graham, others who acknowledged the problem. But once the Supreme Court decided that corporations and wealthy individuals could put endless money into political campaigns, that ended because the Koch brothers became the Republicans' biggest dark money donors. And if you were a Republican and you wanted to win your primary, you had to back off on climate change. Just another reason that that decision, Citizens United, was a disaster. Well, look, let's have some fun. Sarah Silverman, you're going to love, love, love this one, you know, for a change. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that, means, that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now... Get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. It's three o'clock somewhere. 
time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors, like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream, are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings, or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are, with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target, or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. This is a joint podcast. Yeah. Two eponymous podcasts. Yes. Uh, the Al Franken podcast and the Sarah Silverman podcast. Yeah. So, what What made you call it the Al Franken podcast? You know, you were one of my first podcasts, and you, I remember what you said. Um, I said, well, that for that's what I th- call it, the Al Franken podcast, and but people can call in suggestions, but don't call in frankincense and mirth. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then you said, you know what? No matter what you call it, people are going to call it the Al Franken podcast. Well, I can't take credit for that because many, many years ago when I had the Sarah Silverman program, (laughs) um, I was with Jimmy Kimmel and he was just like, just call it Sarah Silverman. You know, just put your name. They're just going to call it the Sarah Silverman show. Like you can call it. Although people do say curb, but you know, like. They, they're just going to say, well, that was a did you good see Larry name. David or did you see yeah, yeah. whatever? You see Watch Jimmy? Yeah. So I thought, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Seinfeld. They call it Seinfeld. <laughs> it did it, occur to me, but then my inner brain edited it. because No, it, no, no. But Curb was the perfect example because people do call it It's not the perfect example, though, because right. people do call it Curb. Did you watch Curb? That's what I'm saying. It's the perfect example of the exception to your rule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant by the perfect example. So um, you and I have different podcasts, uh, which is uh, great. And uh, I do two things. I do public policy. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, well, no, it just makes me laugh that that's what I do. Is, is, yeah. I mean, as opposed to I've been I've been now listening to comedy podcast like by comedians, right? And they don't do public. Uh, they they don't do uh, public policy. They don't do like yeah. They don't talk about public policy. They don't. Have, their guests <laughs> usually aren't uh, like. Well, who was your last guest? Neil Katyal. <laughs> oh, okay, and he in, he, he does what? The, he was the uh, former Solicitor General. Uh, which is the Solicitor General argues cases before the Supreme Court on behalf of the administration. All right. Well, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, <laughs> and although we had a couple laughs because Neil is uh, Indian. His, his parents are from India. And in his bio, in, in his Wikipedia and in his bio, he says that he's argued more cases before the Supreme Court than any minority lawyer and so i asked him does that include jews <laughs> and i had asked him this when i met him a few months ago <laughs> and i asked him again when i had him and he went i didn't check it out mm-hmm. and i said yeah. you have researchers he because has cases jews now. don't count yes uh well that was my point <laughs> and and he who's brilliant yeah uh and has claimed this on his bio <laughs> <laughs> hasn't actually 
checked it out after I had asked him about it a couple of months for when I met him at a, a dead end company show. <laughs> this is this is me. Let's talk about you. <laughs> no, this is a, right. So, um, well, he could say BIPOC. BIPOC is yeah, um, Black and Indigenous people of color. Ooh, you are very uh, conscious of this stuff, and you've talked about it on your podcast, which yeah. is yeah, which what? is good. Like the latest uh, lingo and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's really important. Yeah, I think language matters, you know? Yeah. So does freedom of speech, but also, like, yeah, like, people are so uptight about changing with the times, like... Like, like, herstory, or herstorectomy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a herstorectomy. Oh, my God, that's... That could be made to be very funny. <laughs> Let's work on it. It should be a hearse-derectomy. Yeah, see? I'll give you that one. <laughs> You're developing your stand-up now. Why not? Hearse-derectomy. Because men can't even get a hysterectomy. That's right. And yet, it's called a hysterectomy. How, how awful is that? <sighs> Typical. Fucking <laughs> patriarchy. But Although you the hiss probably is, comes from something else. One of the things I like about you is that you are self-critical and, and introspect. Uh, you, you think about what you've done in the past mm -hmm. and have expressed you, you regret for, for stuff you did. Well, yeah, I mean, I regret, sure, but like also you can't change it. You have to like. Forgive yourself. You're not burdened by your regret. I know that. I am not. I, I acknowledge it. That's a gift, by the way. Did you know that? What? <laughs> to not be burdened by your regrets. Yeah, that is a gift, probably. I mean, I just, you know, I don't not care. I care. And then I, I acknowledge it, and I make changes, and I make it right in any way I can for the forever. But, like, that's it. That's all you can do. This, by the way, for my listeners, is why people, and I'm talking about people who know Sarah, love Sarah. Aw. But it's true. You know it's true. You know it's true. Yeah. And also, I'm like a huge hypocrite in, in the, you know, Rory and I will say stuff and go like, that's, those are at-home words, you know, because it's like. Roy is your, your uh, man friend. He's my lover. He's my, uh, no, I like to say lover because it sounds so cheesy. He's my person, my partner. We just say, it's like, accurate. I'll just say, like, my husband. Yeah, he's, uh, by the way, uh, I worked with him when I did the Kimmel That's show. That's right. And it was great. Boy, that was a great experience doing that. And uh, he was very helpful. You were great, Al. Oh, uh, thank you. You, you, know, you helped. I did help a little bit. You, but had, I, you wrote a joke. I wrote one joke, yeah. Which was uh, Los Lobos was my music guest, or uh, music <laughs> guest, and I asked Guillermo. What does Los Lobos mean? And you gave me this joke, which is, he said. The Lobos. <laughs> <laughs> it was more the Lobos. You know what? I, I, it, right before I said it, I said it should be the. The <laughs> Lobos. That's one thing I noticed about, not to bring up Trump, but when he was president, you could always tell when. You know, he does his best when he's like off the cuff, you he's, know, he's, he's very talented off the cuff. Well, he's he's, he's, he's he really is a comedian. Mm -hmm. He's just a comedian that wants to go on the road. And in, instead, he's decided to 
ruin America and go on the road. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you but really don't have to do both. He part could, of the reason he won was that CNN would always cut those rallies because they're entertaining. Yep. But when he was on script, when he would have to make like a speech because some shit went down or something, you could tell when he was reading, one, because he's a terrible reader. It doesn't seem like he's a big reader. He's definitely not a reader. <laughs> yeah, he read, uh, according to all his aides or whatever, he read nothing. But he would say the instead of the. When he was reading, he would go, you know, in, in the military <laughs> will. Yeah. There's a lot of things about him. I observe, I think I might have been the first to observe that he never laughs. Yeah. That's very interesting. I've never seen him laugh. Yeah, he's joyless. I think so. He's, he's um, you know what? We should get off him because he's just. Yeah, it's not even Gary. Give, give him airtime. Other than he just is like a shark. He's just dead but, inside but and just back. keeps swimming Let's go back to, to the stand-up comedy <laughs> okay. analogy. Because <laughs> yes. he riffs, and I believe Build the Wall was like he just was riffing and it, it, people responded and suddenly that become, became his Hot Pockets. It's exactly right. That's his Jim Gaffigan's Hot Pockets. Yeah. It's totally true. He just went with whatever worked. He's ideology-less. Yeah. He doesn't, you know, he's, uh, okay, nothing. And a lot of times when comics go on the road, and this is a nice entree, Mm. Entree? Yeah, that's that's right. No, that's not right. It's an, an entree, entree is to the... a subject. Oh, you can't say like that. Uh, uh, it has another meaning too. Into talking about stand-up, when you're, if you're on the road all the time, it's a great way to hone your act. But it can be dangerous because the audiences on the road may love more base, hackneyed stuff that is is possibly not your best. You know what I mean? But it works and you want that approval so much that you go with. You yeah, know. I was talking to John Mulaney the other, just a while back, and he just said he was worried because he was killing so hard <laughs> that he, he was actually worried that some of the stuff he's trying out isn't really very good or isn't up to his standards, but it's just, it's killing. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like an obnoxious complaint because it's like, you know, I just can't gain weight. <laughs> but, um, but I get it because he's so huge right now that the crowd is just immediately on board. And every time he says a punchline or, you know, something that sounds like a punchline, they're going to go bananas. So it's hard to gauge, you know, but uh, it's OK. You know, you can always still I find that you're you can always still bomb and really get a good, you know, like if you go to Chris Rock goes to the cellar or Seinfeld, they go insane, you know, when they get up on stage. But then they just are really trying new material like Chris Rock is never He's afraid. Fearless. He's fearless. Yeah. To just go, well, this is, you know, maybe two percent will work and then I'll work off of that. And he's still doing alopecia jokes. <laughs> so you're working on your your you're you're doing your act now. You're yeah, like I'm working doing stand-up. out. You're working. I'm out. working out. You know, I was on the road. Uh, I just did Vegas, and so when you go on the road, talk and, about bragging, <laughs> and you don't. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't have a new hour, so I have a new mm, thirty-five minutes, maybe. 
and I had to do 40 minutes. And that I brought, it was Sarah and friends. And the reason why you bring friends, friends is, is right. to fill, you know, give them a really good 90 minute show where I know, okay, I'll do 40 minutes and whatever I, you know, I'll do everything I have and see what's what. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was really good. And I feel like the audience was very happy with it, but it's, you know, make no mistake. That's why people do like an and friends show is like, you know, you can't just go on the hmm. road. Some comics do. They just go, oh, I do an hour and, you know, not all of it's material. And sometimes I'm just kind of, it's so scary, you know. So it's nice having that support. But, um, you know, it's it's hard to ego wise and also wanting to give the audience the best show you can give. Working out in town is can be challenging because you have to be really Willing to well, where do you where do you go to work out your stuff where you feel really safe like Largo right Largo totally um, there's this place for for my listeners who listen to public policy and Neil Katyal uh-huh. Largo is a club in uh, in Hollywood that mm-hmm. uh, a lot of great comedians go to work out their stuff that's yeah. what and, it's and about and singer songwriters too it's actually a music venue but it's we've you know it's always been a music and comedy venue. The owner Flanagan loves comedy, and it's always like a great place. And it has the audience such great knows sound. what you're doing. Yes, the audience knows we're here, and we know Sarah is working on her stuff. We know Patton Oswalt is working on his stuff. We yeah. know, and we make sure we want to give you a good show, but we have to also just try stuff. And and I think that's good because it's you can't see that on TV, you know. Trying yeah, and shit also, out. I think you know they know you're doing that, and that's part they're part of a process and they're hearing stuff as it's evolving it's kind of cool definitely because i'm a very you know on podcast it's just kind of is what it is right but it's very immediate and messy and but in stand-up i'm a very slow honer you know so like kind of figuring out tiny little can you believe like gaffigan who does like one a year yeah, he's so prolific. And his wife co-writes with him. I know. I'm very mad at Franny. They're very, yeah, they're a real, like, family. Like, Franny, it turns out Gaffigan's wife, like, writes, like, half his material. So, right? Like, step the fuck up, Franny. Yeah, come up with a fucking joke, honey. Yeah, I mean, seriously. The other day, I think I told you this. Uh, it was a couple <laughs> months ago, actually. I said to Franny. Uh, <laughs> well, in stand-up, you can say the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I said to Franny, we have four beautiful grandchildren. We must be good looking. And she said, we used to be. <laughs> well, there you go. There. She, she just it. gave you content. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Thanks, honey. But she doesn't listen to the podcast. But so you have a podcast. You're straddling two things. I'm in a weird fucking place. Right. Because you're a comic. You've always been a comic guy since, you know, your Harvard days with Tom Davis sleeping on your floor. Yeah. You've, you know, comedy is, you know, from the beginning of SNL for so many years. And then you decided, I want to be a You've always been political and interested in politics and you decide i want to run for senate i want to you know yeah the history behind that is i was a friend of paul wellstone's your hero and he died in a plane crash and uh coleman won that election and then a few months after he's in office he did an interview with roll call and he said to be blunt i'm a 99 percent improvement over paul wellstone and when i read that i said who the fuck is going to beat this guy 
And um, that's no reason to run for the Senate, by the way. <laughs> and the fighting words. Well, there are people like, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene has inspired people to run against her. You know, like it, that is a thing. Oh, yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, being that hateful, I'll, I'll you know, I, I hated Coleman for saying that. And I have other reasons uh, which had to do with his. Not doing his job, I felt, but um, not, not, he's nothing like her. But he, maybe he knows better. But let's talk about this. You, so you're like, I'm going to get into politics. I've always been political. I certainly have the heart, the mind, the soul for this. Yeah. I love Minnesota where I moved oh, with oh, my you're family as a child. I thought you were talking about yourself. No, I'm talking about you. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> could you imagine if I was, that was me talking about? Yeah. But, so I, and I knew you at this time, you know, so, and you, I'm going to say this, um, distanced yourself from comedy at that time. Yeah. I, I very much noticed it. I don't know if you were consciously aware. I felt you very much distanced yourself from well, comedy in order to be taken seriously. Of course. Uh, I knew I had to do that. What we, what we, I thought SNL was going to be a big feather in my cap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it turned out the people of Minnesota didn't see the connection between comedy and, and, and the U.S. Senate, you see. Right. Well, there, we could probably let, talk about that a lot. Yeah, it's actually helpful to think like you do and like I do in the Senate. Um, and I was effective in a lot of like hearings because of that. You are I, so brilliant oh, in geez. so many hearings. Gosh, clips, clip after clip. Check him out in hearings on YouTube, I, you know. It, it, Just go uh, put in YouTube, uh, in YouTube, Al Franken, brilliant in a hearing. Yeah. Well, yeah, honestly. And I think it made a lot of people mad and yep. threatened. But as a comedian, your brain for that is is right on because comedy, not only is it about kind of being in the moment yep. and being able to speak publicly, but it ultimately is truth. So it's excellent uh for politics and it also flies in the face of politics in that way yeah it came back it was, you know ir irony came back to haunt me and you know it, irony it, that's how you say it irony irony hmm. what do you how do you pronounce irony i say irony i don't know that i'm i'm you're from new hampshire yeah but i i was raised uh, my dad is very new hampshire and then my mother was pounded it out of me at every, you know, turn. So I, that's why I speak, you know. Oh, I see. Yeah, somebody, you don't have any Somebody called from like Kazakhstan uh, on my podcast. She said that um, I've helped her with her English because I speak so insanely. Uh, I, my diction is over the top because my mother pounded that into me. Yeah, now that I think about it, you don't have any New Hampshire Speaking of which, let's go. Oh, you to met the my music. dad. Oh, I, sorry. I was going to go. Well, I met your dad, who is just is a character. Oh, my God. And he, he, um, he taught you to swear very early. Yeah, that, that was, he was one of those dads that thought it was hilarious to teach his three-year-old swears. Yeah, and he's pretty funny. He's a pretty funny guy. He's very funny. Met him at your house. Yes. And, and my stepmom, Janice. Yeah. And he's in your um, 
in your musical. Yeah, I was just talking to the actor who plays him, um, Darren. He was great. Your cast was wonderful. Wow, yeah. And I love, love, I went, got there twice. I went twice. Yeah. And the first time, at the end, I was bawling. I was crying because the the girl, Zoe? Zoe Glick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Unicorn. She she plays you at 10. Yeah. And... uh, Boy, she carries a show. She's the 10 years old. The whole thing's on her shoulders, and, and she's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And at the end, um, the whole thing, is, it's called Bedwetter, and it's about it's from your book, which is hilarious. That was off-Broadway. That was uh, in New York, formerly the showbiz capital of the world. But uh, people, you know, you live in Hollywood. People want to know uh, about Hollywood. They're very curious uh, about Hollywood. Did you know that? Yeah, well, the Hollywood, I mean, the Hollywood uh, painted by certain people it is, uh, you'd think it was just, I mean, I just can't believe how loosely the far right, you know, like just calls us like pedophiles and groomers. And it's like really, it's so upsetting and disturbing, you know, like, it's just like. You know, Anthony Jeselnik said the most brilliant thing about it because they go after comedians all the time because we talk about the darkest corners of, of course. life. Which is your job or our job, but yeah. less, less mine. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Because uh, I may go back into politics. <laughs> well, that's what I want to ask you next. But he said, um, he said, oh, God, I got to find it. it was a tweet. But Anthony Jeselnik said something like. Uh, finding a pedophile joke in my act is like finding a needle in a needle stack. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Man, he is funny and dark. But um, yeah, it's like, so what you talk about is who you are. Like what you examine or even touch on, that's who you are, if, if it behooves them, you know. And then I remember I was talking, well, never mind. Let's talk about this. You're thinking about getting back into politics, and of course, you have support by from so many people. Yeah, and you miss it. I really miss the Senate. I uh, loved being in the Senate. Did a lot of good things, and uh, miss uh, miss a lot about it. But I, de- you know, it's funny because I'm still somewhat careful in what I do. I mean, I, I think I've given you jokes that I just oh I can't God. do this joke. <laughs> I know you're like I can't do this joke, but you can, and I'm like I guess, but I mean, like, <laughs> oh yeah, maybe okay. Yeah, no, you. I mean, listen, the the man still has an insane comedy brain. Oh well, uh, thank you. So let's get you back to the Senate. Um, I, mean, I don't know how much I have to say about that, other than I know it would it would be uh, be ugly. I'm sure. If, if you, I, yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. So there's that, and I don't think my kids want me to do it. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They went through a lot during that period. So it was like I feel like like anything goes now. Like I don't. Know, I know. I mean, scorched earth. Like just. Hey, let's talk about regrets. Because I've had a few. Sorry. Because, again, you sometimes do talk about stuff you've regretted. And I was thinking about that because I was thinking about this. I started to think about stuff I've regretted and uh, as, a, as a senator. Okay, great. And I realized that politicians never admit <laughs> mistakes, almost never, unless it's huge. 
So it'll be like Hillary and John Kerry and Biden saying, I voted the wrong way on Iraq. Mm -hmm. And so that's having to admit a mistake where you cost a lot of Americans their lives (laughs) and and wasted trillions of dollars and destabilized the Middle East. Right. And I'm saying- Yeah, but you have to because everyone says, okay, that was a huge mistake and you're now running for president. And so you have to say that. So I was thinking about that because you you talk about regrets. I was thinking errors of omission. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about, I was reading an Atlantic Monthly story about the Trump administration's separation of children from their families. And I was reading that and going like, why the fuck wasn't I down at the border screaming? Yeah. I mean, you were kind of doing it secretly at, at, at first, but Jesus Christ. And so those are heavy regrets. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's totally insane. They were just cruel. Cruelty. Uh, I can't, cruelty was, for cruelty's sake. Cruelty that was, was Steve, the point. That was Stephen Miller said that. Yeah. Right there, I believe. Just fucking scumbags. Really? Really? You know, how do you convince whole swaths of constituents that that's okay to do. Well, you have to say there are gangsters, M13, whatever, uh, um, caravans of people, you know, instead of like refugees looking for a safe haven at a place whose brand is give us your, you know, tired report. You know, it, it's I, like I, I've heard Steve uh, Stephen Miller, Stephen Miller, go like, uh, you know, uh, when the French delivered the Statue of Liberty, it didn't have that poem on it. Give me your tired, your poor. That that, that came later. <laughs> that Such wasn't a scumbag. <laughs> yeah. We should never call him Steve Miller because Stephen S- Miller. Yeah, because Steve no. Miller band is doesn't deserve to be even. Yeah, I'm a smoker. What a joker. I'm a toker. I'm a midnight toker. You're a midnight toker. Yeah, that was not Stephen Miller. Yeah, that was Steve Miller. <laughs> All these people have just such deep-rooted, unexamined shit. Oh, yeah. You know, I just feel like every war, every, you know, for every, uh, you know, ba- kids in cages, all that stuff are decisions made from unconscious daddy issues, not worked out. Every war, every, all that shit are people who like, look at Trump, just filling this, this bottomless hole where his heart, where hearts go with money and power and mindlessness and unconsciousness. And then like makes decisions that affect all of us based on his daddy issues, based on his shit, his unexamined life. And, And what's kind of amazing is how it accelerated all this division. And the Republican Party now doesn't really believe in democracy. It really doesn't. Mm -hmm. And this is very, this is why I tell my listeners that not only you have to vote, but you got to get up and knock on doors. Let's make phone calls. I always say this, that I know you have jobs and I know you have families, but ignore them. (laughs) Yeah, it's that important. Yeah. An eight-year-old kid knows how to use a microwave oven. Yeah. Yeah, and can teach a four-year-old kid to use a microwave (laughs) oven. That's just a scientific fact. So you can go out and door knock while they're home. (laughs) Yeah, or bring them along. 
Yeah, that's a good experience for a kid to have someone yell at you at the door. <laughs> but actually, door knocking is so much is great, and people, and also you learn a, a, a hell of a lot. It's the best kind of polling there is, you know, because you actually learn what people are thinking. It's not yeah. like a poll, yes or no, this, yes or no, that. So. Um, you're uh, the, talk about the stuff that you've done in your act that upon uh, self-examination where you've said when I did that or maybe that wasn't. Well, there's stuff in my first special in 2005 that you know that I did that as a live show for a long time before that. Jesus is magic. That is like I would never do today. Uh, but I I don't know that I should have known better because I don't think. Because there, like, what? What are the things? Because I just, I mean, it was the whole sh show was so most of it was so was very racial, mm -hmm. and uh, I knew there was racism in the world. And to me, I was I was doing a character that was illuminating that. Right, of course, this is irony, right? Yes. Remember what I said about irony? <laughs> <laughs> years later, I was you know like on social media watching like the tenth unarmed black kid get killed by a cop and i thought this is like an epidemic and then a few beats later i realized oh yeah no no no. this is how it's always been and i'm just learning it because of social media and i think that certainly all the things that i'm aware of and that most of us are aware of now as a as a person who is jewish but certainly has experienced can experience white privilege didn't didn't know you know, like you go, yeah, of course, racism is real and it still is happening. I, w I didn't think we were in like a post-racism world. And I thought what I was doing was because um, I, I did this character that was ignorant and, and yet arrogant. And it was I thought it was very funny. And, and people, you know, it's, it's not like I had an, an only white audience <laughs> at all. As a matter of fact, it's. Well, you're doing irony. Right. Right. So, so you're doing a character and you're trying to illuminate this is funny b because it's so wrong. Yes. So that's, you really regret that? No, I don't regret it, but I w it's something that I would not do today. You know, there's, uh, I, I always cringe at old material. I think intention. if you don't, you're doing it wrong because you have to always be changing and, and figuring out, you know, life as a human, let alone as a comedian. But if your intention was right, you really right. But we're in we're living in a post intention time right now. Mm -hmm. You know, Ooh. like where where intention doesn't matter. You can't like say that. like, well, but the context is no one wants to hear about the context, and no one wants to hear about the intention. So it it makes mm. things very black and white. But mm. yeah, of course that was the intention. <laughs> I mean, I I remember doing press for it and saying, you know, using a math term where it's like. I say the opposite of what I feel, and, and that's my comedy, and the hope is that the absolute power of it comes through, which is, you know, the opposite of what I'm saying. Right. I did and I feel like a people lot of that. I've done a lot get of that. They did infer it that way, correctly. Right. Some people didn't, and which is what uh, an old friend of mine calls mouthful of blood laughs, you know. When people are just you know, laughing at the wrong thing and there's nothing you can do about it because you've put it out there and now it's theirs. Hmm. Ooh. Mouthful of blood laughs. Mouthful of blood laughs. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's funny. It, it's, it, it's interesting that you're kind of regretting something where your intention was absolutely pure. 
I wore, Al, I wore blackface on the Sarah Silverman program, which had to go through many, many filters and was, you know, broadcast on the air. And the whole story is, is still tracks, but it's, I mean, I, I was in blackface in a church in South Central where we used all the churchgoers, you know, you know, and they, you know, so it's like, it wasn't, uh, I wasn't wearing blackface. I had a Halloween costume at my all white, you know, as a Halloween costume at my all white school or something, you know, Uh like it it was, you know, I I was uh, the only white person (laughs) in, in where, and I was wearing blackface. So it was, I'm, you know, I'm not saying I would do it today, but certainly if you, you know, I have a couple of friends who are black who are, who hate when I uh, talk about regretting it because they love that episode. But I also am friends. They're, they're also like comedians. So it's different. (laughs) They don't represent, you know, an entire culture. No one is a monolith, but yeah, I mean, there's also people, especially in the far right, like to take that screenshot of me. Mm Mm-hmm. And throw it around, you know, if I speak up about something, they go, oh, how about this? All right, you got me. But, you know, (laughs) you're not including, like, also in the picture, um, you know, the great Alex Desaire, who is a a black actor and musician. And um, the story is that we switch places for the day. So he's wearing payas and a giant nose and a a T-shirt that says, I love money. You know, (laughs) like it's, you know, it was a thing. It was satire. Yeah, it was satire. But um, <laughs> anyway, you know, you're it, right. it's yes, like contact- comedy is not evergreen. And I think that has to just be a given, you know, and, and you can change with the times or you can not change with the times. And those there are consequences for all of it. You know, and people say, oh, I'm edgy. I do edgy comedy. And then they're so upset if there are any consequences. It's like, well, if you're doing risky comedy, you're risking something. Right. So you got to just take it and move on. Hopefully learn something from it. Yeah. Yeah. I paid a big price for irony. (laughs) (laughs) You Um, did. So I'm a little sensitive. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. You okay? You want to take a minute? Let's stop the tape (laughs) and start again. (laughs) Uh, On your show, you take questions, right? You want to do that? Oh, yeah. We have those questions. But hold on. I want to ask you something and we can cut it out because maybe it was cone of silence. Okay. But I asked you, because mm-hmm. I had heard, someone had told me, oh, yeah, the DNC, who I'm not crazy about. Mm-hmm. Um, Democratic National Committee. Yeah. I, it's, you know, no one wants you to ever criticize the left if you're on the left because uh, you, know, you can't. Well, I, I am critical of some of my former colleagues. Yeah. Uh, who's, uh, you know, so me, and yet I work very hard to elect Democrats and I, to, I, uh, have a political action committee which raises, uh, money to help Democrats. And I right. spent an awful lot of, uh, the PAC money in Georgia last election and yeah, Nevada. Yeah, you've done amazing and work. So, helping. well, you know, I mean, that's because you know why? Because Republicans are awful. And, yeah. And Democrats at least, I mean, they screwed me over. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. But, um, at least Democrats gave us Social Security. They gave us the GI Bill, gave us Medicare, they gave us Medicaid, they gave us Pell Grants, they gave us the Affordable Care Act. They're just past the $370 billion to address climate change. Republicans don't do any of that. Yeah, anything <laughs> in place by the federal government that helps your life, a Democrat conceived. 
Absolutely. I think you could probably say that. I'd love to. I'm sure there must be something, but I can't think of anything. Well, I guess Republicans have voted voted for the Civil Rights Act and in 64. Yeah, but they, did they pose it? Did they write the the? Did they write it? Did they? <laughs> well, actually, Everett Dirksen helped get. It. I mean, th- at the time, by the way, there were awful Democrats in the South. Sure, right. right. Yes. Okay, so Stennis and Eastman, and all those Russell, and all those racist Southern Democrats, and in the Northeast, uh, there was Jacob Javits and all the and Midwest Everett Dirksen, all these you know liberal or moderate Republicans. Mm-hmm. So that. You know, but then, of course, after the 64 Civil Rights Act, the South, just we lost, you know, the, the Democratic Party. They just all became Republicans. So we lost the South. We gained my dad. My dad had been a Republican, huh. a liberal Republican. And then when, when that happened, he. Same he with my best a- friend. He, he, you know, we would always go, uh, well, I'm fiscally conservative, but socially liberal and you can't do that anymore that's not an option anymore because um it comes with so much heinous inhumane shit yeah there's nothing wrong with saying okay we got to spend our money wisely but not spending 370 billion dollars on climate change (laughs) i mean we should have been doing that in 1981 i mean we should have been and we knew it too and I, all I can think about, because so many of them are uh, um, people of faith on the right, is the parable of, I sent you a boat, I sent you a canoe, I sent you a plane, I sent you a, you know, that parable of, yeah. uh, you know, oh, God, will, no, God will save me, God will save me. And when the person's drowning on the roof of their house, they go, why didn't you save me? He goes, what are you talking about? I sent a boat, I sent a, you know, it's like, to me, that's climate change. It's just like bizarre. No, I mean, I always... Would say when I was in the Senate, I don't want my grandchildren 50 years from now saying, Grandpa, you were in the Senate. Why didn't you do anything about climate change? And also, why are you still alive? <laughs> so, I, oh, so yeah. this is my question. Mm. <laughs> you might want to cut it out. That I had heard that the DNC was spending a considerable amount of money anonymously backing Looney Tunes Trump oh, candidates. Yeah, 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 yeah. And no, with, I, the, I, with the theory no. that they yep. can't win against our, our Democrat. Yep. I, I, okay. It's not a rumor. They did that. They did it. They did it. How, how Democrats are not well, I was, furious I, about this. How do you not learn after Trump that these people will get voted in? Stop helping them. No, and also you're putting out messages it's that are pro those people and pro what they believe in. And it's not clever. I understand the strategy, uh, uh, but I was absolutely angry about that. I understand pitching the strategy in a meeting <laughs> and it not ever getting farther than that. It's it's ethically gross and questionable and it doesn't work. So now have they stopped doing it? Have, well, who's now in that the primary season who, who is over. Who divvies out the money? Now that the primary season is over, they've stopped doing it. So what they're trying to do is back, is back the nutcase Republicans doing ads that seem like they were attack ads on them, but really were trying to get Republicans to vote for them. That's what they were. So it was very 
weird jujitsu-y. And it, to me, it, it really promoted those ideas. It's like the producers. Yeah. Well, uh, that was irony. And <laughs> <laughs> also, that was brilliant. Yeah, the producers. I mean, they, they literally just backed a bomb so that they could, so that their candidate could beat. Ugh, whatever. Yeah, well, we'll see how it turns out. <laughs> I mean, if J.D. Vance or, I, I don't know who they backed. They, they, I'm assuming they, well, it'll be interesting. That's some real that. establishment shit. What I just said? No. Oh, oh, they're what Doing they did. that. It's like something like the guys from Trading Places would come up with. A great movie. Yeah, great movie. I was stoned baggage oh, handler right. number one, and Tom was stoned baggage handler number two. Oh my god, you guys were incredible in that movie. Here's the thing: that's what our that's what we were in the script. But we do a scene where we smoke a joint, and that motivates us for the rest of the movie. But they decided later to have Eddie Murphy smoke a joint. Remember in the toilet, and so we're just not stone baggage handler one and number two. We're Unbelievably stupid, idiotic <laughs> baggage handler number one and two. But um, yeah, I get. I still, boy, oh boy, um, you get. I get checks from that, like not small, really, not terribly small, like over a hundred dollars. Yeah, that's I consider because I get SNL checks for three cents. Yeah, yeah, I lo- yeah. When you get actual checks that are for point zero <laughs> x amount, you just go. This you're wasting paper. This paper, this paper costs more. But I think that through, because then they go like, "Well, where do we cut it off? How do we figure that out? How do we make that decision? Let's just do it, because <laughs> otherwise it'll cost more." Yeah. That's because I was in government. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I thought that I because I thought the same thing. Why are you sending me a check for two cents? It costs whatever it costs to send it to me, and then I gotta go cash it (laughs) i'm not gonna you know okay we're gonna take a quick break we'll be right back with sarah silverman hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. We're back with Sarah Silverman. Do you have a process when people ask you about your process, stand-up-wise? I don't think my process is terribly interesting. but So, fortunately, they don't. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I was like already They must bored. ask you. you. The stand-up is a little bit new for you. I mean... Yeah, well, well I did you, it with no, Tom. No. I did you it did it with Tom. You were a comedy team. And then you, you would different. do... I remember before you were... A politician, mm-hmm. you would do corporate gigs. Yes. 
which are is like manna from heaven when oh, you get a corporate gift. Gig. It's it's like you know it's some you know convention of dentists or whatever. Yeah, or like uh, some. REIT, like a real estate investment trust. Yeah, and you do stand up and they, they pay you I used to lot. start with, uh, you know, you probably you know that I'm uh, a liberal. That's, this is what I wanted you to say, because a lot of Republican groups would hire you. They're like 80% Republican, these right. corporate groups. Right. And I just go, um, you know that I'm a Democrat, you know that I'm a liberal, but Democrats can't afford to pay me. Yeah. And they laugh. <laughs> I said that, you know, so I tell jokes, making fun of you, you laugh, and then you pay me. <laughs> and, they, and they laugh, and I would just do that. And it, so I'd do that, or I'd campaign for Democrats for nothing, of course. Right. And um, no, it was great. And I remember when I was consulting with my family about running, my, uh, I'm sitting with my son and daughter, and I said, what do you want me to do? Just continue doing corporate speeches for $50,000 a pop and blah, blah, blah. And my son goes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How much did you get? Yeah. yeah like uh, oh, okay. Shouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah, play golf with these guys, you know. But yeah, that was sweet. <laughs> yeah, those are the best. But yeah, I, oh, maybe I can ask you. I don't know if I can ask you these funny stories that are my favorites. When you would get to the Senate early, and Nancy Pelosi would be like, "Gal, tell us a joke." No, no, it was uh, uh, it wasn't Nancy. It was uh, Diane Feinstein. Ooh, I'll tell a joke. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and w what was interesting was like I was on judiciary committee, you know, and I, as I say, I'd, I wasn't a lawyer, but I played one in a sketch. Yeah, <laughs> and but I was good on judiciary, and like very early on, you know, I did some questioning that was trapped a Republican <laughs> witness or something. Diane comes up to me afterwards, and goes, "That was very good what you did." And I said, "Well, thanks." She goes, "You know, when you first came here, I thought you were going to be stupid." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, why? Well, because you're a comedian. Huh. I said, well, actually, you know, comedians, by and large, are priests, are very smart. And she goes, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> because normally what they say is pretty stupid. And I just went, okay, this is not worth pursuing. But yeah. then after that, whenever there was kind of some lull in something, like a caucus lunch or like in the cloakroom, she'd go, Al, tell a joke. Yeah. And I would tell these old Borscht Belt jokes that yeah. my dad loved. It, she'd always say this at the end of it. It's the way he tells it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, uh, yeah. I, I, in my act, I talk a lot about, and a lot of it is just absolutely word for word. Yeah. Stupid stuff that, you know, my colleagues. <laughs> I mean, that's so crazy that you'd say, I thought you were stupid because you were a comedian. Like, it makes so much more sense to say, I assumed you were stupid because you're a politician. You know, I mean. Well, she was, she's very smart. Yes, and of course. And she, you know, I don't think it's any secret that she's beginning to fail. But she's very smart and very good senator. And she was the assault weapons ban in 1994. Wow. And then she, uh, I, I co-sponsored when she put it back on the floor in, uh, af after Sandy Hook. So, and she mm. was very, uh, very good uh, on the intelligence committee. And she was a formidable senator. But yeah, now she's, this is, will be the end of her career. And maybe she shouldn't have run for re-election. 
Yeah, she's up there, right? How old is she? She she's up there, but you know there are not people. to be ageist. I mean, but you know she's she's feeling it. I don't I don't feel uncomfortable saying what a lot of people already know, which is that she's failing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Aww. Yeah. Aging. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we're having a great time here. <laughs> it's not for sissies getting older. No. My mother-in-law is 99. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Norman Lear, I'm going to this later tonight. Yeah. Norman Lear is, they're celebrating his 100th. Unbelievable. And he was just at a memorial service I was at for George Shapiro, the late, great, oh, wonderful, the magical George Shapiro. Oh, right? my who God, was, yeah. Who is a- Great guy. Jerry Seinfeld's manager yeah. to, the, to the, right to the end, you know mm. I mean? And Norman Lear got up at 100 years old at the, towards the end. Everyone had, you know, a bunch of people had spoken. I said a few words and Mel Brooks was brilliant. Kevin Nealon was the funniest. He is just- But Norman Lear went up, he's 100, he had a cane- but he looks like a young guy in an old man costume. Yeah, I like mean. Like, he he's... doesn't look old, really. No. And he gets up, and he just takes everything in, and he just goes. And, and George Shapiro was beloved. He was just the most special, open-hearted, amazing man you could ever meet. So happy, so th- excited about life, you know. Even in death, he, he, when he was dying, told his kids, I'm, I'm so excited. It's going to be an adventure. You know, death. Like, he just was so special. Huh. So anyway, Norman Lear gets <laughs> okay. up, and he just is like, am I the only one who couldn't stand this guy? Oh, He was so great. God, God, he killed. Yeah. 100. Yep. All of his marbles. So I told you my joke, I think. What? Okay, so uh, it's like a lot, of, a lot of people may know that Norman uh, flew 52 missions in world war ii he was a gunner and a bombardier i guess uh but what they don't know is that he flew 37 missions in world war one <laughs> he's that old he's that old he's old folks this is what i'm trying to say <laughs> that's what i'm trying to say yeah no he's an amazing guy and think about that he's in world war ii and he flew like 52 missions and those are scary. Every and you know, there's flack going around, you know, and uh, and then he started people for the American Way. In addition to all the family and all this other stuff, but he's been uh, and a lovely fucking guy. Yeah, he's amazing, magic. Yeah, yeah. Comedians either die very young, or they live very old, or they die in the, the middle. <laughs> <laughs> No, but uh, yeah, there's uh, George Burns was very old. And yeah, well, he was 100, right? I remember, I remember they had a like big that. 100th birthday, but he wasn't quite 100 yet. I don't know. Oh, okay. But uh, I think he made it. Yeah. and, uh, and Betty White was like, I think like the day before she turned 100, she died or something. Yeah. And think how beloved, you know. So beloved. Well, that'll, that'll be me. That, that will be you. <laughs> soon. <laughs> Can you imagine if Giuliani just, you know, called it quits after like he's, you know, was the mayor during after 9-11 and he went on Saturday Night Live and Lauren said, is it OK to be funny? And he said, why start now? And he was just like New York's mayor, you know, and I went to a number of those funerals and he went to them and he was great at them. He 
I think he, he drank. I think is he that did. what it is? He's oh, a, yeah, yeah. The guy's a lunatic. It's amazing. Now, no, he's deteriorated completely. But you're right. If he had just, but, you know, then, yeah, it became a, a mockery of everything. I mean. It's just so odd. Well, no, alcoholism is a tough disease. It's really bad. <laughs> I, yeah, no, right. Yes, but I, I mean, and there was how other do you stuff. go from like knowing the difference between right and wrong to aggressively not? Um, do you remember when he hosted the show, by the way, I remember thinking like, he's great. Mm-hmm. I remember that show thinking like, because I wasn't on the show anymore, and I just went like, oh, this is what the show is supposed to be. Yeah, it's weird. Now, but now we can just think, of, we can just remember Mayor Koch as that. <laughs> I loved him. What I liked about up. Mayor Koch is that when he would fuck up, he'd go like, I made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> he would do that all the time. I made a mistake. Yeah, it's endearing. And yeah, he would readily just, uh, yeah, I like Koch. So where, what are these questions? That oh, yeah. Do them? we have them to, are they going to play in, in through a speaker or something? Hey, Sarah, now this is Don. I, I wanted to know. With the exception of Ted Cruz, who is the worst Republican currently in office? I know that Ted Cruz is the easy answer, but but who's number two? Thank you. <laughs> oh, I would go, <laughs> well, there's McConnell, but I would go with Hawley or Cotton. Hmm. But I don't know. I, I didn't serve with Hawley. But uh, by all appearances, to me, he's there's something that's very scary about him. Yes, don't you think? Yes. And I don't know some of the some of the new ones, uh, but that's those are two I go right to. But there's some really bad ones. I mean, Ron Johnson. Ugh. I know, isn't it something? And stupid. Yeah, it's amazing how because they all have one talent and. In common is they're they're snake oil salesmen, and that's why comedians are the opposite but adjacent to that. You know what I mean? They you can speak to crowds, you can sell them on ideas, but yeah. but um, the snake oil salesmen sales people <laughs> <laughs> are selling yes, anything for profit to profit. You yeah. know what I mean? In some way. And literally, you know, Republican Party is a lot about money. I mean, it's a lot about their backing comes from, you know, uh, it, it, it's interesting how much they sell resentment to working class people, mm-hmm. resentment against the elites, right. which are college educated Democrats and, you know, yeah. and there's some truth. There's also amazing hypocrisy in them. I mean, like. Well, no, I mean, they're backed by the Koch brothers, and they're backed by the people who are, as much money as they give, they get back in tax breaks. I mean, they just do. Yeah, and who do they worship? A, a scumbag who was born on third base and shits in a golden toilet. And it's, like, bizarre. That's Trump? <laughs> <laughs> he probably does have, like, a good, I mean, that's the, th- you remember those toilets? Those like, and they still exist, these Lucite uh, toilet seats that have money in them. What? No. Okay, go online. <laughs> there are toilet seats that have like 
coins and or dollar bills or $10 bills in them or $100. And it's, I, I swear to God, here, I'll, I'll Google it. I mean, I believe you. Yeah, but isn't it? <laughs> Isn't it fun to see that I can prove How, it to where you? Where do you stand on uh, <laughs> on the black toilet where you can't see like what's in the water or the color of the water? You know those black toilets, and it's just the water just you can't see what. Oh yeah, I'm against against that. Yeah, I need to know. I want to know everything, and I want to make sure I'm leaving it immaculate. I remember a joke a comedian did like he didn't like the blue water because said, "How do you know when you're sick?" <laughs> I can't well, remember who that joke was. You're okay. sick if it if it turns purple because that means something red came out of you. So I'm going to put toilet seats, coin, like the uh, money, toilet seat. <laughs> toilet seat money is going to just take you to the weirdest uh, OnlyFans site. Money and with money in them. Oh my god, you're taking forever. Let me just do this. Okay, found it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you found it much faster than me. You're, yeah. you're like younger than me. I mean, I'm 51. <laughs> <laughs> you don't look 51. Can I say that? Well, thank you. sure can. <laughs> <laughs> I did a podcast like two years ago with someone who I like very much. and But he, he started it by going, oh, God, I used to, I knew you way back. You used to be so hot. Yeah, like it went on and on. I just sat there like, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to react. There's just no reason to say that. None. You used to be so funny, boy. <laughs> you were once funny years ago. <laughs> I oh, yeah, I look hot. great. All that you matters is uh, my husband gets a big boner when he sees my cellulite-covered thighs and ass. And really, what else could you ask for? That's that's what it's all about. No, I'm strong in my body works. Uh, but what did the gentleman ask? Who's worse <laughs> than Ted Cruz? Uh, well, I think we answered that. Or yeah. not, no, no one's worse than Ted, but. I don't know. What about like Lauren Bobart and MTG and, uh, you know, it's like fucking QAnon people that are. Yeah, that's worse. Politicians. That's worse. But Ted is. As a, there's a special thing about Ted. Because you get the idea that Ted knows the difference between right and wrong. Mm. But he can debate and argue That's a really, any side. I don't think so. No. He's very smart, uh, but in a, uh, did well on his SATs and is good in debate. Yeah, well, like, smart is is a real general word because... Even in comedy, you got all the Harvard writers, and like for every Conan, there's a million Harvard comedy writers that just they learned the math of comedy. It's right. soulless, but they're successful at it. Yeah, I think the ones that are more successful generally are also funny. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> sure. I hear Okay, let's move on. Oh, sorry, that. you went to Harvard too. Conan and you. You know my proudest moment and maybe my life? What? I probably shouldn't. I don't know. You can use this. I shouldn't use it. Okay. Okay. I love so, that. So, Xander. You remember Christine Xander? Yes. Love Christine Xander. But I, I, I never knew her. She was before me. She wasn't oh. there when I was there, but okay. she's a legend. Okay. And I remember hearing 
that she would write brilliant sketches and put one of the guy's names on it because everyone who wrote a sketch, it says who it's written by right. so that it would be considered more and those would get on the air. Okay. So here's my, one of my proudest. So she's been there like seven years, right? Mm -hmm. She's great. And uh, one night it's like three in the morning and she just comes over to my office and she just sits down and she goes, got these fucking Harvard guys. And I went, yeah. and she goes, there's seven of them. I said, no, there's eight. <laughs> she goes, no, no. It's Daniels and Conan. <laughs> and I mean, these, we're talking about sweet guys, but, um, uh, you know, VD, whatever. She's named right. them all uh, except me. Mm -hmm. And I go like, no, I, I went to, there's eight. I went to Harvard. She goes, you did? And she had been there seven years. And I went, fuck, I'm a good person. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you saying to me, the one year I was there, you were, you know, you're like, didn't really give me the time of day. And then one day you came over to me and you said, I owe you an apology because I just thought you were whatever you thought I was. Mm -hmm. And then I saw you in the, at the sub, in the subway station and strangers went up to you and asked for directions and you were very nice to them. So I know that you really are nice. And I just thought, what has this place done to you? <laughs> Jesus Christ. You mean to me? <laughs> yes. But that's just like, oh, wow, she's so nice. As opposed to, God, you're funny at the rewrite table. No, <laughs> or just like, that was just what a regular person would do. Well, I'm, I, you might have been, because you are a, a lovely, nice person in a special way. So I might have observed that you were being you. Oh, yeah, maybe I was like very nice. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I like people. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, it might have been, you know, there's a difference between being nice and being you. So yeah, and then I always sat you. next to you at the, at the writer's table after that. Oh, you did? Yep. Oh, yeah, and that's when you stuck. I did stab you in the side of your head <laughs> by accident, but it really looked on purpose because it was technically. On purpose. I mean, but you thought I you thought were going to stick through the my pencil through your hair. Yeah. 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 And uh, it went right into your temple. And then I just told you when you came over, I remember exactly what you did. Which is? You screamed, why? <laughs> and I couldn't answer you because I couldn't breathe from laughing so hard. And it just looked insane. <laughs> uh, why? <laughs> the best reaction. Because you were in pain and, but so curious. <laughs> so uh, what are the other questions? Aren't there? Oh, yeah. Questions? Let's hear the next one. I think there are three. Yeah, yeah. Hi, and thanks for taking my question. My question is, can this shit be unfucked? Thanks. I think that's a very clear question. That's Al? clearly one of my regular listeners. Can this shit be unfucked? It's a great question. You know, I was going to ask you a similar thing of like, will we ever get back to a working government where Republicans and Democrats play golf and have social events and like you, each you, other? You know where this started going wrong was Gingrich and Gingrich uh, basically, first of all, started demonizing the opposition and published this thing, learn to talk like Newt. And it was like calling the opposition traitors and sick and decay. I mean, that's what he did. But then also he told 
members of Congress don't move to Washington. Don't move your family to Washington. Right. And, and it used to be that in the old days, people would move their family to Washington and your kids would play with, you know, yes. the other party's kids and you'd get to know each other. And when I first got to the Senate, I would have a regular bipartisan dinner with the Enzies and the Johans, Enzi from Wyoming and Johans from Nebraska and Tom Udall from Democrat from, we, we would go out to dinner once every month or something like that at each other's houses. Yeah. Because I just felt like, Jesus Christ. And it on. should almost be mandatory, you know, like. It's but just that a- was it. That was the start of it. And now it is just so. And then the country has become so tribal and because social media, you know, I'm I'm not saying anything that has been repeated a million times. So I don't know. The answer to that is I don't know. Is that is that? Wait, do we have one more question, or is that it? Hey, Sarah, this is Emily from Pittsburgh. I've called again, but you know, this seems like I'm talking to an old friend. You know what I mean? Um, So I've been having this thought, and, and it comes up from time to time. And I know how older people just look at millennials like myself and say, you know what, you're lazy and, you know, uh, you guys don't want to work. And I used to fight back on that, but you know what? They're kind of right. I don't want to work. Um, I do want to be quote unquote lazy. Um, I want to just stay home with my cat and travel and, and enjoy my time. And, the more that I dissect that, I realize that it's because why am I working? Why? Why do you think it costs money? The whole social construct of our society and as a critical thinker just doesn't make fucking sense to me. Excuse my French. It's just, it just really doesn't make sense to me. And it seems like it's worth for nothing. And all of the jobs that I've had that have made me feel good, I work in behavioral health, don't pay a lot of money and make it harder for me to live. And it makes me hate that job. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on the quote unquote millennial ages being lazy or not wanting to work? Love you. Bye. Pat, what do you think of this? This is a good one for you. Fucking millennials. <laughs> Part of it is fucking millennials. Like they just really <laughs> like if you have a job, whatever the job is, whatever the dream is, you got to do the job you have on the way to that dream. Well, the, on the other hand, she makes a point like. If you really, really think about existence, well, you need money to live. But that is a construct. I mean, when when this country was stolen from our the first Americans or whatever, indigenous uh, Americans, I don't know, you know, they didn't have a concept of money or even of have, you know, like. Yeah, they were uh, hunting. How would that? They, they grew corn. Yeah, but they didn't sell it. They grew it to eat. Maybe they traded it for other stuff. I don't know. I'm talking like I know and I don't. Is my daughter a millennial? She's 41. Um, And my my son is 37. 85. Oh, really? You mean before 85 or after 85? What do you think, asshole? After 85. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) You were born before 85. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I'm not a millennial. Yeah, and me. So uh, after 85, well, then neither of my kids are millennials. I don't. I don't know. I th- there's plenty of uh, yes, true. Plenty Good point. Of, uh, lots of uh, people are individuals. Yes, that's very true. I All mean, right. of course, now, we're, you know, we're treating ta- them like a monolith. Of course, I'll, just I'll for tell you what I was of- thinking when you talked about is that you and I are lucky. 
we have passions. We have yes. jobs that we love and care about. And that, you know, I, I was having breakfast today with Conan. And, you know, during COVID, I thought it reminded me, you said this, you know, the reason I went into comedy was to be in rooms with funny people. Yes. What a joy. To be in a comedy room is yeah. awesome. And so I understand people who don't have a passion right. for a work. And it's too bad because it sounds like she did some really good stuff and then wasn't paid enough to live. And that's what teachers are dealing with around the country. So and like people in mental health, teachers, all these jobs that are critical to our society, our entire society, <laughs> yeah. our entire society are treated like shit and don't make a living wage often. You know, I would always see like one of our teachers would be like mowing lawns over the summer, you know, and you go, what? You know, as a kid, it was very disoriented because this is someone who is who teaches you, who you respect, who you and it is respect. It, it is very respectful to. Make ends meet however you need to do that. And like, you know, but it is, it was always odd well, seeing the that they is, had to have second and third jobs. I mean, yes, it's a, it's a job that doesn't work in the summer teaching in particular oftentimes, but they're not paid enough. The problem with teachers is that they're in their dream job, that teachers love teaching. Right. And so. Great teachers love teaching. Great teachers love teaching. And so, as a result, you know, they do it without getting paid enough. Great. So, you're saying as a result of a passion for shaping the young minds of our country, they get punished by not being yeah. subsidized, you know, that or, they, or they, paid. They do it in spite of not getting paid enough at all. But as someone who knows the inner workings of... I mean, like Betsy DeVos. Oh, my God. What a, what a. Mm-hmm. I agree. It, it was amazing. And it was because her family had given $200 million to Republicans. She's, she, she had no idea what the education system is in no, America. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I remember at the hearing, I asked her her thoughts on growth versus proficiency, which was the number one debate in assessments in education. I watched it, and she had no idea what you're talking she, about. She, it was, yeah. Now, I would have no idea what you're talking about, but I don't have to know. Well, you aren't in education. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> and it's aren't, fucking absurd. You are at a hearing to be the secretary of education. And this, every fucking, uh, not only just teachers, but every principal, every uh, school board member, every parent, parents knew this. Yes. And, uh, but, um, but only she didn't. And I knew she wouldn't know it. I remember she, they have these courtesy visits that they come in, these nominees, and she came in and I had been told by my Democratic colleagues on the committee that who had had their courtesy visit, she doesn't know anything. <laughs> so she sits down and... I kind of test how little she knows, and, and right away, it's clear she knows nothing. And I just went, okay, I'm not going to uh, – I know what I'm going to ask her. I'm not going to – I'm just going to stop talking about education now. Yeah, she bought her seat. Yeah, well, yeah. And um, anyway. Will Citizens United ever be overturned? 
Only if we get a court that will overturn it. Well, you can. I think the best thing we can do is do disclosure. So right now you don't have to disclose. These dark money doesn't have to disclose. And I think that, of course, we should get rid of Susan United. It was a horrible, it's a horrible, horrible decision. Well, it's just legal pe- corruption. Yeah. And people should understand that Roberts is just as bad as everybody else. He's just more calculating. And he did also Shelby County, which got rid of the, the Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, which is pre-clearance, which is about the Justice Department uh, reviewing any uh, changes in voting laws in states and jurisdictions that had a history of racism. <laughs> and, and that was Roberts. Um, no, there's, uh, but the, the, I think the closest thing to do, if we pick up two seats in the Senate, have 52 votes, and we don't have Mansion and uh, Cinema blocking everything, that uh, we could probably pass a thing for disclosure, where uh, you have to disclose who's giving all this money. Which will make a big difference, actually. But no, Citizens United, horrible. No, it would be great. Get rid of parties. Why is there a Republican Party and a Democratic Party? What, how do, it, it, anything a Democrat says is going to be heard differently to someone who calls himself a Republican's ears. And I think, lunatics aside, we have a lot more common ground than we know. It's just that we have villainized each other. Yep. So... Why don't we do what Christine Zander did and put another name on our bills and our, you know what I mean? Like, why, why can't well, that because stuff you be need anonymous? Another, well, you, you can't you, be anonymous. All right. All right. No, no. You try to get a Republican sponsor for your bill. And I did that a lot. Yeah, did you that did do lot. that a lot. Yeah. But also, why even have the name? Why be labeled? Why, you know? No, because you want to know who authored the bill. And I mean, the, you want people want to take credit for their bills. And it's, no, no, no. The, but, but, Okay. But if there were not <laughs> the idea of d- Democrat and Republican, and threw that away. It was just politicians. It was just and, people. And mainly, there isn't a name on the bill because usually it's it's hashed out by a number of them. And they just like, speaking of mansion and and cinema, though, why wouldn't you? Now this is just me being crazy. What if you were liberal minded and you ran as a Republican? You'd lose in the Republican primary. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is I You'd think. killed. Just like how Bernie would go speak at Liberty U or on Fox News. Yeah, well, that's smart and, to do. And that's the truth is people agree on so much more than, they, than we act like. I mean, look at, you know, when I went to Chalmette, Louisiana, I talked to a, a family right. that loved that that. Trump. Uh, they hate Obama and they hated everything. But what they didn't even realize was they were on Obamacare and it saved them, you know. And you were doing exactly that. You were reaching across. You were trying to understand people. Right. But and have them understand a little bit are, of you. The so, we're so much more the same, but there's just a block because of who it comes from. Like if you took quotes and you didn't know who they belonged to. You can't always tell if you like it or not until you know who said it, right? Yep. And there was a, just Tom Edsel just had an op-ed in the New York Times that was exactly about this. Oh, wow. Exactly about this. It was like a couple of days ago. Oh, I didn't even read it because I don't, I don't know how to read, but I, that sounds great. <laughs> I'll have someone read it to me. Uh, well, I think we should end because only yeah. because um, 
we, we have nothing else to say to each other. No, I think this is it. <laughs> Bye forever. <laughs> oh, I love you. I love you too. Yeah. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.